Praise the Lord. We're at the main course for our Sunday celebration, the preaching of God's word. Um, our theme this year is Rediscover Church, because after practically two years of being in a global pandemic, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we anticipate that this year, we'll be able to get back to a normal rhythm of gathering together to disciple each other and to reveal the gospel and scattering throughout the week to love our neighbors. And the Bible says that the church is God's flock and that Jesus is the chief shepherd. And that's why we're studying the book of Luke in this season, because if we want to rediscover who we are as the church, we need to learn how to follow our chief shepherd. So we are in part six in this Rediscover Jesus sermon series. It is titled Jesus Forgives Sin from Luke chapter five, verses 17 through 26. What would you consider to be the greatest core issue in your life? What is your biggest need right now? Maybe you think it's fixing your family life. Then you'd be able to enjoy peace and quiet in your home instead of the constant tension and conflict there. Maybe you think it's changing your job. Then you'd eliminate the stress and worry that's always like a burden on your shoulders. Maybe you think it's finding your soulmate to share life with with you then you'd have someone to lean on or take care of you instead of feeling like you're on your own these are all important needs in our lives there's there's no denying that fact but i would say that there is an ultimate need that all of us have that requires resolution according to the bible it is the need to be forgiven of our sins and thus to be made right before god our creator this is what jesus addresses here in this passage of scripture so go ahead and find Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26 in your Bibles. Uh, we're studying Luke chapters 4 through 9 in this sermon series, which covers Jesus' public ministry in the region of Galilee, which is the countryside of northern Israel. Jesus had declared that he is the king of God's kingdom that was promised in the scriptures. He showed his authority by casting out demons and healing sick people. He taught about the kingdom of God to crowds of people and called Simon Peter as his first disciple. And what happened most recently in Luke's gospel is that he healed a man with leprosy. And we covered that last week. Here's another account of Jesus healing someone else today. This is God's word from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who, blas who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. 
and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. Here's the one thing for the sermon, which is the main message of Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Trust in Jesus, the authority to forgive our sins. Trust in Jesus, the authority to forgive our sins. And we'll look at this narrative in two halves. First, we'll see how Jesus did an unexpected deed when he met this paralyzed man in verses 17 through 21. And then second, we'll see how Jesus then did an easier deed when he healed this paralyzed man in verses 22 through 26. Uh, let's, let's get into this. So first, see verses 17 through 21, an unexpected deed. And so just as a summary, in the first half of this narrative, Jesus surprisingly declared to a paralyzed man that his sins were forgiven, which started a controversy among the Pharisees and scribes. I'm going to first talk about this truth. That's from verses 17 through 19. The faith of friends is a key ministry to others inside and outside the church. <clears throat> so during these days, Jesus' growing fame demanded the attention of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, who are an influential part of Jewish society. Uh, just to explain, Pharisee literally meant separated ones. And Pharisees, the Pharisees were a sect within Ju Judaism that wanted to keep the nation of, of Israel faithful to God by strictly keeping the law of Moses. They were small in numbers, numbers but influential in society and had a lot of political power. The teachers of the law were also known as scribes, and that's what I'll call them throughout the sermon as scribes. They were those who studied and interpreted the law of Moses. So the Pharisees and the scribes developed what is known as the traditions, the system of specific rules that were applied to the law. And thus, the Pharisees and scribes were the leaders and guardians of Israel's religion. And they came from all over, every village in Galilee and Judea, and even from the city of Jerusalem, the Pharisees and scribes had heard about Jesus and wanted to see if this guy was legit or not. And so Jesus continued to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God. He was also ministering to a lot of people who were seeking to be healed from their sicknesses and diseases. And the Holy Spirit was working through Jesus, as verse 17 said, that the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And I'd like for us to imagine the excitement and electricity in the house that was packed with people and Jesus in the center of all this action. And the Pharisees and scribes were there too, sitting along the walls, just waiting for a reason to expose Jesus as a fraud or something. They would certainly be shocked at what would happen next. Now, verse 18 said that there was a paralyzed man who was carried around on what was described as a, as a portable bed. Just think of it like a mat on a wooden board with handles because he was unable to move around on his own. And this man was with his friends, companions that carried him to this house where Jesus was teaching and healing the sick. In fact, verse 18 says that these friends were the ones who were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And so it was from their initiative. 
They were the ones who found out where Jesus was located and persuaded their paralyzed friend to allow them to carry him to Jesus. And they insisted that maybe this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get healed. And, and maybe they were uh, just seeing no other options for it. But when they got there, they realized that it would be much harder to see Jesus than they realized. The crowd was way bigger than they expected. The, the house was maybe much smaller than they expected. And there wasn't any way to get a portable bed carrying their friend, alonging with the group of them, into the house. But you see that they were so desperate to get their friend to Jesus that this is what they figured out to try next in verse 19. You see, back in the first century, uh, in first century Israel, houses often had a flat roof and stairs on the outside of the house for access to that roof. And so these men, they carried their paralyzed friend up to the roof, and then they spent the time removing the tiles off the roof of the house uh, to make a hole big enough for their friend and his portable bed to fit through. So it must have been at least like two by one meters large. And they lowered their friend into the roof from above and, and they passed him to maybe other people in the crowd, uh, on the ground, in the, midst of, in the midst of this crowd. If this scene was hectic before, now it's like ridiculous. According to verse 20, what caught Jesus' attention was their faith, the faith of this paralyzed man's friends. They were the ones acting in faith, going through all this trouble, believing that if they could just get their friend in front of Jesus, Jesus was willing and able to heal him. I want to pause here at this first truth from verses 17 through 19. The faith of friends is a key ministry to others inside and outside of the church. Faith is definitely a personal thing. This paralyzed man had to have his own faith in Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, God used the faith of these friends to put this paralyzed man in a position to receive grace from God and to also exercise faith. In other words, their actions done by faith were ministry to their friend. And God used their service as a way to work in the life of this paralyzed man. And I think that this is a great way to describe our ministry to people in our lives. It's simply bring them to Jesus. This is the best thing that we can do. We can bring them to Jesus through our ministry of prayer. Your faith being used, asking God to intervene on their behalf. We can also bring them to Jesus through our ministry of presence, taking initiative to message them, sharing a meal, listening empathically, speaking encouragement and truth into them, and accompanying them to church gatherings. I know that we hesitate, perhaps, because we see our limitations and our inadequacies, and we, we, we don't feel like we can do much for people. But as believers in Jesus Christ, I want us to take heart, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, all of us, to guide us and to empower us in our ministry of presence. So how far are you willing to go to bring friends to Jesus.
There are people that we know who are struggling with tremendous challenges, depression, addictions, family crises, and so many other things. And it's going to take persistent and patient prayers, as well as per patient and persistent presence with our friends. As we continue in this text, I'll mention the second truth that's from verses 20 and 21 now. Jesus addresses our core problem, the need for forgiveness of our sins. Now, what Jesus said next is totally strange. Remember the previous times that Jesus healed people? He just simply addressed the sickness, right? He healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law by rebuking the fever. And he healed the man with leprosy simply by saying, I am willing, be clean. But the reason that this incident is so weird is because look at what Jesus said in verse 20. He said this, man, your sins are forgiven you. And so actually, he did not heal the man from his paralysis here. We know that the man wasn't healed yet because he would be healed in the second half of, the, of this narrative. And don't you think that this would have been a, a bit of a disappointment here? I mean, this wasn't exactly what his friends were seeking at all. And we can guess that it wasn't exactly what this paralyzed man wanted from Jesus either. You see, the most pressing or obvious need that this man had was that he needed to be healed from his paralysis, wasn't it? But Jesus knew what was best for him. He knew what the greater need was for him. He knew that the greater need for this man was, and I'd actually say the ultimate need for this man, just like every other person in the whole wide world, they needed to deal with this problem of sin before God. Every single person will stand before God's judgment and will have to account for his own sins. You see, he needed his sins to be forgiven uh, and he needed to be made right with God. I also think Jesus had more in mind here too. And he wanted to address the, the Pharisees and scribes who were scrutinizing what he was saying and doing, just waiting for him to slip up somehow. And notice that not fearing how they would react at all, Jesus said what he said because he truly cared enough about this man to address the deeper core problem this man faced. And it wasn't his paralysis, but his sins. Verse 21 describes their reaction to what Jesus said. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? At one level, they were right. Only God has the authority to forgive sins. But they were certain that Jesus was blaspheming, which means speaking profanely or obscenely about God or other sacred things. You see, they were offended that Jesus would say something only reserved for God. They were offended at Jesus' indirect claim that he was God. Now there's a huge, full-blown controversy here. Let's pause again and elaborate more on the second truth from verses 20 and 21. Jesus addresses our core problem, the need for our forgiveness for our sins. 
this paralyzed man in front of Jesus probably thought that if he could only get healed, then he could have his whole life back. He could walk on his own. He could work again and earn a living. He wouldn't be a burden to his family or to his friends. He could get married even and so on and so forth. And so what about us? We're the same way, aren't we? We often think that our biggest problems have to do with our current job situation or not having enough money or being single or being married or our family issues, or our physical or mental health, or whatever else is going on in our lives. And I'm not bashing any of those important things in life. They are important, but they're not ultimate. And while we often have uh, misaligned expectation about what our biggest problems and issues are in our lives, Jesus does not. And Jesus boldly says it here. He loves you enough to say today that if you don't get that dream job, if you don't get married, if you don't get physically healthy or mentally healthy or whatever else, Jesus does know what you need the most and addresses this in your life. And even, and even if you lose your job, or you lose your health, or family, or money, or whatever else you think is most important in your life, Jesus is the one who knows what you most need and is working on you so that you see this and you understand this. Let me share an example of this in this person, Jane Marshuski, who goes by the name Nightbird when she performs. Nightbird blew everyone away when she competed in America's Got Talent in June 2021. So just this past year, Simon Cowell gave her the golden buzzer. Everyone was in tears and her song went viral overnight. Don't do this now, but check out her video on YouTube sometime later today. All right. I guarantee you it'll touch your heart. What made her, as the America's Got Talent host said, the voice that we all need to hear this year? What made her that way? Just some background about her. Nightbird battled stage three cancer, breast cancer three times. Her husband divorced her after the second time. She still had cancer in her liver, spine, and lungs during her audition. And actually, sadly, she passed away this past weekend, two Saturdays ago. But despite her grave physical issues and even relational issues, she had her core issues with Jesus, with God resolved. So she could sing, it's okay. If you're lost, we're all a little lost and it's all right. What she said in an interview explains it a, a little bit more. Quote, I believe that God can heal in one instant. I also believe that no good thing does he withhold. So there was something God was growing in the field that is me. If God had pulled up all this hardship too soon, it would have also pulled up all these miracles he did in my spirit, end quote. We might not all have as dire situations as this example, although some of us actually do. But the point is, since Jesus addresses the core problem in our lives, 
We can trust him when those other things in our lives are absent or threatened or cause us great pain or are even lost in our lives. He takes care of our core problem, forgiving our sins so that we can be right with God and live for the more important things, fighting for God's causes, developing Christ-like character, preparing for eternity by how we live and steward our lives on earth. The Apostle Paul wrote this, Romans 8, 31, 32. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? In other words, if Jesus addressed our biggest problem, the need for our sins to be forgiven and the need to be made right with God by giving himself on the cross, won't he take care of us in all of life's other problems? This is why Jesus did the unexpected deed of declaring this man's sins forgiven. So that's what we saw first. We saw his unexpected deed in verses 17 through 21. Now let's see verses 22 through 26, an easier deed. In the second half of this narrative, Jesus declared to this paralyzed man to rise and walk, which was actually an easier deed and was a sign of Jesus' identity as the Son of Man. I'm going to talk next about this truth that's from verses 22 through 23. When hard questions arise in our hearts, we can bring them up to God. What Jesus said here in response to the Pharisees and the scribes is the longest spoken word in this entire narrative. So we really need to pay attention here in verses 22 and 23, actually all the way to 24. It says here that Jesus perceived their thoughts. The Pharisees and scribes actually never said aloud their accusations of blasphemy towards Jesus. But because of the Holy Spirit's power that was upon him, he knew what they were thinking in their heads. And the first thing that he said to them was this, why do you question in your hearts? Jesus called them out for not asking, not saying aloud what they were thinking to themselves. So why didn't they? Why didn't they say what was on their minds or in their hearts? I think all of us who are judgmental, which is all of us, right? We can understand. Because when we judge others, the advantage that we have by not saying anything is not giving the person the opportunity to explain or defend himself. Instead, we can keep our own assumptions and negative thoughts about that person, even if they're fair, unfair, or even if they're wrong. It also allows us to keep our feeling of superiority, superiority thinking, at least I'm not like that, or I would never do something like that without any risk of others knowing the terrible thoughts that we have towards that person. But here, Jesus called out their private skepticism. Unfortunately, the Pharisees and scribes were not honest and transparent before Jesus, which I, I think definitely Jesus prefers. Just look at the many times his disciples said silly things or put their foot in their mouths. 
There was the time that Jesus, that Simon Peter rebuked Jesus. Simon Peter rebuked Jesus and told him that he should not die on the cross. And Jesus just abruptly said, get behind me, Satan. There was another, the other time when James and John made the request to have the places at Jesus' right and left in the kingdom and made all the other disciples angry at them. Jesus replied to them, that's not how the, that's how the world works, but that's not how my kingdom works. He said, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. But to their credit, at least the disciples said what was on their minds, right? In contrast, these Pharisees and scribes kept their question, questions and kept their skepticism to themselves instead of just communicating them to Jesus. Then in verse 23, Jesus asked them a question to force them to answer and to say it out loud. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Now, let's think about this. On one level, in, in, the, in that moment, it actually might have been easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Because actually, no one could see if that really happened or not. Even I could say this, and no one could actually refute it because there's no visible evidence to confirm or deny it. But if I told a paralyzed man to rise and walk, it would be pretty obvious whether or not it happened. Either he could rise or, and walk, or he couldn't. And if it didn't happen, I could be easily and obviously exposed as a fraud. Now, on another level, for Jesus, it was actually very easy to say, rise and walk. And he'd done similar things already many times before. But to Jesus, to declare people's sins forgiven was truly reserved for God alone. The Pharisees and scribes got that right. And it would be harder because Jesus had to live a sinless life to be a worthy sacrifice. It would be harder because he would have to suffer and die on the cross to make forgiveness of sin possible. And we'll go down this path in a moment. I want to pause here at this third truth again. When hard questions arise in our hearts, we can bring them up to God. Sometimes we're scared to bring up questions to God. The reasons might vary. It might be because we've been taught that we have to come to God, quote unquote, properly, without ever being able to say how you really feel. And so we try to bury the feelings of anger or disappointment or ignore them when we're supposed to be with God. It might be because we're scared that if we explore those struggles and doubts, we might actually start drifting away and actually fall away from the Lord. But the truth is, when we keep them to ourselves, the anger, disappointment, struggle, or doubt, when they remain, when, when we keep them to ourselves, they just remain unresolved and, and even grow worse. Or it might be because our hearts are hard or getting hardened. Like the people of Israel who grumbled in the wilderness, we complain without being open to the Lord's lessons or guidance for us. And just like I said before, we think we know what we need, 
but we don't actually wrestle with God about it. On the flip side, we can get our cues from the scriptures and specifically from the Psalms that express honest wrestling through, our, through the lamenting before God. For example, Psalm 13, one through three says this. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle in my eyes or I will die. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can bring our struggles, suffering, questions, doubts, challenges, and even anger to the Lord. He can handle them. We might be comforted or we might be rebuked, but Jesus is the one who knows what our core needs are. And he is committed to us for our good, even better than we know for ourselves. Now, as we finish off this text, I'll mention this final truth. That's from verses 24 through 26. Jesus exercised his authority to forgive our sins by serving us on the cross. In the end, Jesus did heal the man who was paralyzed. Like I said, an easier deed for him. And it was a sign that showed that he truly was God and he truly did have the authority to forgive sins. Look at what it says in verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Once again, at Jesus' word, he healed this paralyzed man. And it records in the next verse that immediately the man got up on his own power, was able to pick up the mat that he used to be stuck on, went home right away, and was giving God glory for this life-changing miracle. His life would never be the same. And so before we gloss over this too quickly, let's remember that this truly was a life-changing event. He, he was no longer dependent on others to get around, to do regular tasks and activities. He was no longer bound to his mat and was now able to do things that we take for granted. Running, swimming, playing sports, traveling, and working and thus making a living for himself and his family. This changed this man for the rest of his life. But there was a deeper significance behind Jesus' act of healing this man. Just like all the other miracles that he performed, these were signs that pointed to the truth of who Jesus truly was. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom, who was proclaiming good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, and forgiveness of debts to the oppressed. He was the king that was promised by God in the scriptures who would surrender his divine rights and use his divine authority to serve his people. You see, all these miracles that Jesus did were, were signs. To explain what I mean, just think about a road sign when you're driving on the toll. 
When my family took a road trip to East Java, our destination was Batu and Mala. And the purpose of the road signs on the toll were to direct us to our end destination. We didn't stop and look at the signs in amazement. The signs merely pointed us to where we really wanted to go. And in the same way, healings like this were signs that pointed to the truth that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. And the king of God's kingdom is also known as the son of man that was promised in the scriptures. This term was what Jesus used to refer to himself. The son of man is mentioned most prominently in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Jesus, as the son of man and the king of God's kingdom, has the authority to forgive sins. In fact, Jesus taught that the son of man was called to suffer many things. He was called to be rejected by religious leaders like the Pharisees and scribes. He was called to die on the cross, and he was called to rise again three days later. You know, if you think about authority in terms of having the power to do something and then taking res the responsibility to do something, then Jesus did just that perfectly. He had the power to forgive sins. And he took res the responsibility to forgive the sins by, by being a man who lived without any sin and offering his life as the substitute sacrifices for all of our sins. Let's pause one last time to elaborate what, uh, once more on this final truth from verses 24 through 26. Jesus exercised his authority to forgive our sins by serving us on the cross. First, we have to soak this in for ourselves personally. I want to give people the opportunity here to declare, for Jesus to declare for the first time that your sins are forgiven. So friends, this happens when we acknowledge that we are sinners and that Jesus died on the cross as the substitute sacrifice for us. This happens when, when we trust Jesus alone, that he has the authority to do this. And if that's you, Today, your greatest core need is taken care of in Christ, and you are made right with God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, also, don't let, the don't let this significance go over your heads either. We also have to acknowledge that Jesus died because we're sinners, and this is our greatest need, more than anything else that we think are greatest needs in our own lives. And it was taken care of by Jesus. Just as this healed man went home and glorified God by just living every day as a healed and forgiven man, may we do the same. 
May we glorify God by living every day as healed and forgiven men and women. Second, let's understand that we are living signs for others to be pointed to Jesus. Our ministry to people inside the church and outside of the church is to point them to Jesus. There's nothing that we do within ourselves, nothing special about us, nothing that we have to, to rise up to whatever occasion. It's Jesus that we point people to. And Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May we glorify God in the ways that we share how Jesus takes care of our core needs by forgiving our sins. May we glorify God in the ways that we share our honest struggles with God and we share how God deals with us. May we glorify God in the ways that we still decide to be hopefully hopeful and joyful when God takes away good things from our lives, but not the ultimate things from our lives. And this is our continual ministry of Jesus in us that echoes to others who also really need to be pointed to Jesus. This is how we disciple each other in church. This is how we love our neighbors. This is how we reveal the gospel to the world. And so first we saw an unexpected need deed in verses 17 through 21. Second, we saw an easier deed in verses 22 through 26. Now let's conclude with the next steps we can take in light of this scripture. So here's our life application. So the one thing is trust Jesus, the authority to forgive our sins. And here are a couple ways that we can put this into practice. First, come to Jesus by faith every day. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as friends here today, bring your questions and concerns and doubts and anger to Jesus. And come as you are. Let him remind you that as Jesus has the authority to forgive, to forgive our sins and has served us on the cross, he'll also take care of you in whatever situations that you're in now. So be intentional to put this into your schedule every day in personal times with God, even if, it's, even if it's just five minutes to be with him, but also in your corporate times with the church by sticking to Sunday celebrations, gathering together with your spiritual family in Sunday celebration and in life group. Come to Jesus by faith every day. And second, bring others to Jesus by faith every day. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have the ministry of prayer and presence that points others to Jesus in the honest triumphs, but also in the honest trials that you face. Pray daily for each other in the church. So use the WhatsApp group or use the church directory to, to pray for everybody in the church. Invite people into your life and make it a staple in your life to invite people into your life. You will also need to be pointed to Jesus sometimes as well. And that's what the church is for. I want to give us a few moments to respond to what the Lord is speaking to you about, as well as 
to prepare for observing the Lord's Supper. And so if you're watching this offline, just want to encourage you now to join um, the, the, the live Zoom service again uh, to observe communion. God bless you.